If you have your Bibles or your cell phones, please uh, open to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be looking at this interesting book over the next few weeks. We're going to begin today looking at chapters 1 through 4. And I want to share some things with you that I, I think are interesting, and I also want to be a little uh, revealing and transparent of my own life. For those of you that don't know, I've been on sabbatical for a while. We get a spiritual renewal leave in the United Methodist Church every seven years. Unfortunately, it's been 11 since I've had one. In fact, I've never had one. And so this was a great time for our board to say, you know what, Kevin, you need to recharge and you need to spend this time reconnecting with God without the responsibilities of everything else in the church. And it has been such a gift for me to connect with God. And so last Sunday, we talked about some of the tools that I use to connect with God. And so if I can have the team just jump that up on the board real quick while I get my clicker. When you want to connect with Jesus, these are three things that I think are so important. Number one, you set yourself up for success. You find a quiet place, a place where you can connect with God, and you get rid of your distractions. Number two, you keep the goal in mind that a spiritual journey is not a destination, but it's an ongoing adventure. All right? It's not about trying to get to the end. It's about getting to know each other, and it's about growing in that relationship. And thirdly is this personal encounter with Jesus. And I gave three examples. I'm just going to name them here. If you want to know more, feel free to go back to that uh, sermon from last week. You can check it out on Facebook, YouTube, or you can get just the audio part on um, the uh, Apple iTunes. So we talked about a spiritual guided meditation. We talked about a safe place. And we talked about looking for God's presence in the everyday experiences. And again, I don't want to go too deep into that today. I want you to check that out from last week. But the reason I'm talking about these things is these are the tools I use. And the reason I bring this up is because this week is no different. <clears throat> I spent the week using these tools with this particular section of Scripture in order to discern what God is asking of me in my life and for our church. And so as we get into that today, I just want to show you that these tools are not just things we come and try to talk about. These are things we actually use in our own lives. And so we're going to begin looking at Joshua, and I love this line, it's chapter 3, and it's at the end line, and it says, you have not passed this way before, and what I love about this verse is God is talking to Joshua about coming into the promised land, and he says, listen, it's going to be really important that you hold fast to what Moses taught you, which is to obey my laws and commandments. I want you to stick with me, Joshua, because this is a new terrain, new territory, you've never been there before. Now, the reason I bring this up is not only is this a message for Joshua, but I think it also transcends into our lives today. This past week, I had my one-on-one -on -one meeting, which is a meeting <coughs> we have every year with our district superintendent of the United Methodist Church. And as I'm talking to our district superintendent, I said, you know, it is so frustrating because the church has changed so much from when I was a kid. And it's changed even more over this last year, year and a half with COVID. And we're in this new precipice of God doing something here in America and the world to change the way we do church. Now, the funny thing is the church has always changed throughout history. In fact, if we were to go back 400 years, we would see the Protestant Reformation where the word of God was translated into modern day languages so that you and I could have Bibles that we could read and understand. So if you are an English-speaking, reading person in this church, and you have an English Bible, you can thank God for that movement in the church. But we're now 500 years down the road. And every 500 years, it seems like things change. And we're now moving from the Word of God and, and allowing everyone to have revelation and access to it, to what does God want to do in our lives? And so we're moving into a season of ministry, believe it or not. 
a season where God is now calling us to step forth into this new world and to be people of God's presence and to lead others into that presence. So as I was wrestling with this all week, God came to me in this really neat moment and he reminded me of the story of Joshua. And so I want to spend the next few weeks going through the story of Joshua. We're going to move a little quick through it, but I want to point out some key pieces that I think are going to be so radical. At least they were for me, and I hope they will be for you. So again, if you have your Bibles, jump in to Joshua. So let's begin our time today. What is your seeming, it should be seemingly, forgive my spelling on that, what is your seemingly impossible task? So what are you faced with right now in your life that just seems overwhelming? And I put the word seemingly in there, at least attempted to, to say that it's not so much something that, that feels big as the world that we're stuck on, but, but it just feels overwhelming. So feel free to pick in your mind and just take a moment. I want you to go, what is that thought, that thing, that action? What's going on that has your attention? You don't have to share it. But as I just kind of think through that question, here are the things running through my mind. My son is getting ready to start a new school, which will be down in Westerville next year. My son was diagnosed with autism a few years ago, and we've been battling to find the right place for him. We found the right place, and God has been very gracious in providing it for us. But it's going to add a whole lot of driving for me to drive down to Westerville twice uh, a day while doing all my stuff here. That's something that's on my mind and seems a little overwhelming. I think of my kids getting ready to go back to school, and right now we're debating uh, with the school of whether or not kids are going to have masks or not, or is it optional, and what are we going to do, and oh my gosh, what a mess. And then I think of my mom who just moved into a new house and how Monday is her last day where the movers are moving the big stuff, but we've been working all week trying to help her get it finished, and we want to try to push that through and get it done. I think of all the windows and storm windows in my house that I need to redo before winter comes. And I think of the painting on the side of the house that I've put off for the last three years, and I just can't do it anymore. Do you feel like that, where there are things just overwhelming and burdening you? Well, those are just the regular things, but then I think about what is God calling our church to do? And I believe this wholeheartedly, I've seen this throughout the scriptures, that when God calls individuals, he calls communities. And when he calls individuals and communities, what he does is he provides everything they need to fulfill whatever it is he's calling them to do. And today, in the story of Joshua, we're going to see just that. And so, with this question in mind, what is the most impossible task? I want to tell you a story about Lewis and Clark that I found very interesting. I was flipping through this book by a guy named Todd Bolsinger, and it's called Canoeing the Mountains. And he's talking about Lewis and Clark and how they stood out in this endeavor where they were commissioned to go forth and find a seagoing route that would connect the Pacific Ocean to the Mississippi River. Because not only would this help majorly with moving people west, but it would help with the trade in moving supplies. And so as these two are commissioned to go out, they get in their canoes and they're rowing up all the side rivers trying to find the best way possible. And in one of the diary entries from Lewis and Clark, they talk about a specific day where they for mountains. And it's just too troublesome and too cumbersome to try to get the canoes to go around the mountains because the way is blocked with trees that have fallen and rocks and different things. And so they get this idea that if we climb to the top of the mountain, I bet the river will connect on the other side. So you can imagine this entire team of people loading their backs with all the gear, food, and supplies they have and then lifting canoes up over their heads and traversing a mountain up to the top. Now it says in their diary, once they got to the top, they quickly realized there was no river on the other side. And as they looked out, all they could see 
for miles and miles and miles were the tops of mountains. Here they are stranded on top of a mountain with a canoe. And I don't know about you, but that's the wrong tool for the job. And so I love what Todd Bosinger begins to point out, and he points out this really cool quote. He says, if you're going to scale the mountains of ministry, you need to leave behind the canoes and find new navigational tools. You know, we could flip that a little bit. So if you're going to scale the mountains of life, you're still going to need to leave behind the canoes and find new navigational tools. Now, I hear over and over people constantly saying, oh, I just want to get back to the way things were. And you know what? I can't think of a moment in my life where I was ever able to go back to the way things were. Because time doesn't go backwards. It goes forwards. And so really, this is an opportunity for us to engage what it is that God has before us. And so I want to share this seemingly impossible task that you and I are probably struggling with in our lives, that God has already prepared a way for us. And we're going to use the book of Joshua to be reminded of that today. So with that in mind, what is your seemingly most impossible task right now? And I'm going to share a little history because we need to get caught up where Israel has been to know where they are to then see how the story continues in Joshua. So bear with me as I give you a little bit of history. Uh, going back to the beginning, God has chosen to reveal himself to a man named Abram, which we'll know later as Abraham. He says to him, I'll be your God, be my people, and he makes a covenant, which is this really special, deep, intimate relationship where he says, it is going to be all about you and me, buddy. We're going to connect. And he looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to take you away from your family and everything you know to be true here, and I'm going to bring you into a new land, and I'm going to make your people, your family, more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores. I'm going to prosper you. And so in this kind of thinking, Abraham is looking at God wants to make something special out of me. God wants to use me to do something great in this world. He wants to give me purpose and meaning. And so Abraham leaves everything behind and he follows God. And sure enough, he begins to multiply his family little by little. Now, it wasn't simply a, a matter of God wanting him to just be about rules, but he wanted to give them guides and ways in which they could live their lives to the absolute fullest. So if you think of like a manual or a way in which we should operate something, God wants us to operate not only in our peak efficiency, but he wants us to operate within the gifts that each one of us has been created with. You know, I've talked to many people, especially this particular season in life, that have changed not only jobs, but some of them have changed entire careers. And when I ask them about it, they'll say, you know what, I just didn't feel fulfilled. I just wasn't happy. It, it didn't provide any meaning for me, and so why am I doing the kind of work I'm doing? In essence, what they're saying is, you can find something you love that fits within your wheelhouse of skills and gifts that God has endowed you with, I bet you'll have way more joy than others that just have to do a job. And so what I like about this is as God is pulling Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, and as he begins to fulfill his promise and they begin to have numerous people in their families and they begin to pick up property and animals and land and they begin to really grow, God is showing us that when he calls us to something, he'll fulfill it and he'll make good on it. Now, the part I don't like is the timing. Because God doesn't work on my schedule like I wish he would. 
And so part of our lesson for today is that God doesn't work on our timing because, well, frankly, we're not God. He is. But he will prosper and grow us. So Abraham's family grew significantly because of God's faithfulness, and they become so numerous that they actually put pressure and, and fear into Pharaoh's heart, who was the leader of the largest nation at the time in Egypt, and probably the most powerful. And as he sees these millions of people coming into his land, and, and he sees them multiplying, he gets very nervous. What if they were to try to overthrow me? What do I do? And so he enslaves them, and for 400 years, the Israelites, God's chosen people that have come from Abraham, are now held captive. And so God rises up a savior named Moses who will come and free the people and redeem them and move them out of Egypt and take them to Mount Sinai where they not only will experience God face to face, but they'll be given the laws, the Ten Commandments, so they'll know who God is exactly. And those Ten Commandments will help set them apart from every other nation in the entire world. In fact, where they're headed next into the Promised Land is filled with nations that have alternate viewpoints. And when I say alternate, we're not talking about simple disagreements. We're talking about people who look at women as property. People who view sex as anything I want, I can just take. People that view children as nothing more than something they can sacrifice to their gods. And so when our God sets forth these Ten Commandments, he's showing the Israelites that he is not that God. He's a different kind of God. He's the supreme God. And that as the Israelites begin to follow his commandments, not only are they upholding part of the covenant, but they're becoming a witness in th through the entire world, God's chosen vessel, to invite people to know the character and nature of God, what he's about, and his people. In other words, to go and invite people into the family of God. Now, we're right at the tail end where Moses has been traveling for 40 years in the wilderness with millions and millions of these Israelites, and he's about ready to pass away. But before he does, he gives one last command. He says, you need to obey the covenant of God. In other words, stay true, stay fast, and connect with God. And then as he passes, his servant or his helper who has been along his right-hand man the whole time, a guy named Joshua, the son of Nun, comes and takes the new reign of leadership over Israel. And his job is to take this generation, while the old generation is now gone, and move them into the promised land. But it's an impossible task. First, they have to cross this giant river, the Jordan River. Now, many times throughout the year, the Jordan River will shrink down, and it is almost passable by people. But this happens to be a time of the year where the river has swollen probably three or four times its size, and it is moving so fast they can't get across. In fact, it was the late 1800s that a man thought he could swim across the point that they thought would have been where they crossed between one side to the other on their way to Jericho, and he never made it to the other side. The water was just too fierce and blew him down the river. So we know that that's impossible. But if they were to pass that, then they would have to enter into land that is filled with all these other nations that are just as ruthless as Egypt was to them. Maybe more so. Because these nations don't take prisoners. They're just going to wipe them out. And Jericho is one of the fortified cities with a very powerful king in it, and that's one of their destinations. And so we're talking about an impossible task. But what I love about Joshua is Joshua never looks at it as impossible. 
Joshua looks at it much like a child's faith would look at Jesus. They simply trust. And so as he steps out into the journey, he begins leading the entire nation forward, and we're going to see how God picks up all the pieces and brings them together so that they can fulfill this mission. And in the same way, you and I can fulfill the missions in our lives. So let's take a look at Joshua's impossible task. This is Joshua 1, 1 through 5. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is not dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over to this Jordan River, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving you to the people of Israel. Each place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness into this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards the going down to the sun shall always be your territory. God is laying out that original promise that I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you land. And so he made a promise to Moses. I'm going to give you this specific piece of land. Moses didn't get to see it, but it's carried on to the next generation. They're going to get to see it. And so God is upholding his promise. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. If there was ever a phrase I needed to hear in my life when I'm struggling, it's that God will not leave me nor forsake me. So I want you to think about that horrible, awful feeling and task inside, that thing that is just gnawing at you. And I want you to say this verse, either out loud or in your head. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You see, we have a God who wants to enter into the experience with you. In fact, he's well aware of your experience. He helped manipulate and move things towards that experience. And this is an opportunity for him to reveal himself in and through you and around you. Now, one of the things that really blows my mind when I begin to study the book of Joshua is that the Israelites aren't necessarily asked to just do this task. In fact, what we're going to find is God's going to look at the Israelites and he's going to say, I'm so glad you're here. Let me show you what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it through you. But you're going to be more spectators. You see, it's not about your power, your skill, your gifted, your calling. It's about what I'm going to do. But because I'm the all all-powerful God who created you and knows you inside and out, I'm going to use your giftedness, your talents, your life experiences, at least if you let me. If, if you remain obedient so that, that we can be in relationship to do this. But if you want to walk, you can. What I love about Joshua is he never wants to walk. He wants to be right there with God, even in the heat of the battle. So again, what is your seemingly task that is just overwhelming to you? This next quote is one that uh, I think about all the time because sometimes I wake up very anxious. And I love this. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. I don't know about you, but Jesus will talk about in the New Testament that who can accomplish anything by worrying? Can Can you change one thing by simply worrying? And the answer is no, but we kind of have a predisposition to want to worry and be concerned. And I think that's because you and I both struggle with that same thing. We want to be our own gods. We want to control our destiny. We want to be in charge of things. We, we want to be able to make sure the outcome is the way that we envisioned it and we want it. And unfortunately, life just doesn't work that way. 
And it's not going to work that way for the Israelites, and it's not going to work that way for Joshua. But it's also not going to be a situation where God leaves them, and it will be a situation where they'll see God move in and through them and around them. So, here are some things that I want to really embrace and give you some more tools for your toolbox. And so I love these words, yield, stop, and go. I know some of you in here have some teenagers that are learning to drive, and so these are very important things to know. I know my kids know them. In fact, if I come up on a yellow light and I think I'm going to goose it and my kids are in the back, I know to stop because I will have to listen to them yell, yellow is not green, stop. But it's the reality. But here's why I want to pull these things up, because I think this is so important for us to kind of remember these things when we start to get anxious. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to yield, and we're going to recognize the new territory we're in. So when you're in a new situation, you, you've been called to task on something, or, or you have a, a burden that you know that is yours to deal with, and it's overwhelming, I want you to, number one, just, just take hold of what is going on around you. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are the emotions? And I want you to just accept everything for what it is. If you're anxious, say, I accept myself for being anxious. If you're scared, I accept myself for being scared. If you're excited, I mean, accept yourself. But the point here is we've got to first of all recognize that we're in new ground, new territory, a place we have never been before. Now, some of you have lived long enough in life to know, boy, some things are kind of similar, but the reality is we're constantly being brought to new tasks, new experiences, new environments, new situations. I cannot tell you what it was like for me the first time my wife and I brought one of our kids home from the hospital. That was the rudest awakening of my entire life. I have not slept in about 13 years. Gabriel just turned 13. It's ugly. And we're going to face things like that. But what I want you to see is the first thing we're going to do is recognize the new territory. So we're going to yield and just recognize what's going on. Number two is stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop making plans. Stop getting anxious. Yeah, I know that's easier said than done, but we're just going to stop. If you're like me, the first thing I want to do is grab a pad of paper or call a friend, and I want to talk through it, and I want to figure it out, and I want to try to manipulate it and work it and try to solve it. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to yield, take into account what's going on, and I want you to just stop. Just take a deep breath. Sometimes when I, I breathe in, I'll actually breathe in the word Jesus. I'll think it in my head and I'll go, Jesus. And when I breathe out, and I do that as a reminder that it's not about me and what I want to do here. It's what does God want to do in and through and around me. And it's a great reminder and it helps me stop. About three years ago, my wife bought me this, this watch that beeps and tells me all the stuff that's going on and the things I'm late for and things I've missed. And, and now it does this stupid thing on the update where every so often it comes on and it says, hey, breathe. And I was so frustrated with it, but I can't turn it off. It just keeps coming on every now and then. Breathe. And I was, I was talking to our friend Deb, who was here a few weeks ago, that gave the message. She said, you know, I've been doing a lot of breathing exercise in my life and you won't believe the amount of stress release it gives you and so now when it comes on I stop and I breathe and I do that exact prayer I breathe in Jesus I breathe out heaven go ahead and try that at your seat for a second if you'd like breathe in Jesus and then breathe out your name
So yield, we're going to recognize, stop. We're going to stop doing, stop making plans. We're going to take a breath and then go. But go spend time with God. So this week when I was stressed out, I stopped and recognized the situation. The church is changing. Life is changing. Things are changing. I gave myself permission to feel the things I feel. God has given us these emotions and these thoughts and these processes. And then I stopped and I started breathing. And I started really thinking about it. And then I I made time to go be with God. And that was the part that really changed my entire outlook on the week. Because after spending that time alone with God, he revealed some things to me that were so freeing. My peace was returning. And I knew that God was in control of this. So those are the tools I want us to focus on. We're going to come back to them throughout this time together. But let's jump in and see how God gives Joshua some great advice, some tools. So Joshua 1, 7-9, new navigational tools. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do so according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, for then you will have good success. So what we're talking about here are those same tools we looked at last week. When you're in that safe space and you invite Jesus into that safe space with you, you're meditating on the word of God and who he is in the character and nature of Jesus Christ. When you spend time in that scripture verse and, and you're allowing yourself to imaginatively pray and put yourself into the situation, you're engaging and, and the scriptures are upon your lips all the time. And so what's happening here, God is telling Joshua, here, here's the simple truths of life and how to connect with me. Don't depart from the law. Hold fast to that covenant. Remember that I love you and have chosen you and there's nothing you can do to make me not choose you. And so we have a safety and a freedom to enter into these difficult situations. And we have a God who is there to help us overcome because you and I were designed to overcome. We were designed to not taste death, but to be resurrected and have new life. God wants to not only resurrect your life, he wants to resurrect every situation of your life. He concludes with this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love how God constantly reminds us that he is with us the entire time. Joshua, I'm with you. Joshua, you saw me with Moses. Now I'm with you. My spirit dwells with you. And for those that have accepted Jesus Christ to be that person that God has allowed to be the ultimate Savior, the man, the God, the Savior, then the Holy Spirit now has taken up residence inside of you and God now has an intimate connection with you that is so unique there is no other religion in the entire world that can offer you anything close We're talking about intimacy with the living God. And so God is talking to Joshua in those terms, and you and I can understand that because we have the same thing. So we're going to yield. We're going to take a breath. And we're going to then go be with God. Now, this is how we can become strong and courageous in our faith. And it's 
not something that's always easy. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel strong and courageous in my faith. Sometimes I have doubt. Sometimes I have concerns. Sometimes I wake up early and anxious and frustrated. You know what? That's okay. Because you and I are humans. But what we know is something most of the world doesn't. We know how to come back to God. I was talking with this man one time. He's a second degree black belt. And I said, man, what, what does that mean to be a second degree? And he said, that means I'm better than you. And I said, well, no doubt. I'm not even a zero degree. And he said, the secret is that not so much the knowledge we have or the skills we can perform, the real secret is if we were to walk away from it for a year or two, could we come back and be able to strengthen ourselves and our skills back to where we were? That's what a, a, a double black belt is. Well, as Christians, we, we have that same opportunity to reconnect with God all throughout our lives, throughout the day even throughout the moments. And so you and I have that ability to constantly come back. We have a God who's always waiting with his arms wide open, wanting to connect with us. And so as we look at this next section, I want to point out some things that I thought were just so amazing. And as I was reading these verses this week, I, I kid you not, there were moments where I had tears in my eyes because it reminded me of how much God is with us, even when it doesn't feel like he is. Even when the task feels so overwhelming and so burdening. So let's jump into this because I think this is really, really neat stuff. And I hope it will bless you the way that it has blessed me. So I love this. Beginning in Joshua 1, 10 through 15. Number one, I want you to remember that God has called others to help. Whatever you're facing, God has already been moving parts and pieces in other people's hearts to, to be a part of what he's doing. Why? Well, because he loves you and, and because he's God. He will always grow himself through his actions, and his actions are always dictated by love and generosity. So check this out. Joshua 1, 10 15, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, he says, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you pass over to this Jordan and to go take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So he's saying, look, I know you're it's a, it's a little daunting. I'm not quite sure how we're going to get over the river, but I know in three days' time, we're going to do it. Are you with me? And to the Rebunites and Gadatites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord is your God, is providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. Now, it's a very obscure verse, but what I want to point out here is something so cool. As the Israelites begin moving towards this promised land, they went into these tribes that are listed behind me. And what's so cool is they look at the tribes and they say, look, you have peace and rest, meaning that you have land that you can farm, you, you have places to dwell and live, you have families. We want that too. Will you join us so that we can have what you have? And guess what? These tribes send 40 thousand plus warriors to join Israel as they get ready to cross the sea into this promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know I'm facing armies that I, I am worried and afraid and I don't think I have enough manpower and all of a sudden 40,000 guys for no reason that have a perfectly good life say, I'm going to join your cause and I'm going to give you what we have. We're going to fight for you. Would you be encouraged? Man, I would be encouraged. This past week, as I was praying through this and looking at, okay, God, where is that in my life? I watched as two men in this church 
Jeff and Alan came in and spent hours reworking our entire sound system so that things would work here and online. And so I hope you guys are blessed with that. But how amazing that God is bringing people to do that because I don't know the first thing about it. But God is preparing people all the time to come and be a part of what it is he's doing. And so that should give us courage and hope. He continues in this verse, that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them tell the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. So you guys are going to bring your swords and your shields and we're going to go to battle and you're going to help us. And they also took possession of the land and that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and you shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So hey, God's promise isn't just for us, the Israelites. He, he wants to bless you guys too, but would you be willing to fight with us and for our cause? And they're saying, yeah, we feel led to do that. In other words, God has already been working with us in our hearts. We're, we're ready. So then this is what happens. Next, God continues to call others to help. And so we find here that before the men lay down, oh, I'm sorry, they send spies over the wall into Jericho to find out what are we up against. They come across this lady named Rahab who has a very challenging job profession. She's a prostitute. But what's interesting is as they swing by her shop, the guards are coming down the street, they duck inside, and she hides them from the king's guards. And when they try to find out why would a woman do this, this is what she says. Or this is what happens. Before the men could lay down and hide, comes up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. In other words, I, I've heard that God has done these great things through this people group of Israel and I know them to be true because the people that come and, and use my facility and provide me income have told me the stories and my heart is melting and I'm watching the nations melt. In other words, I want what you have. So here's a, a woman that I would never expect to turn and want to be a part of what God is doing and to become one in his family. And she is asking them, how can I be a part? She says, for we have heard how they dried up the waters on the Red Sea when Moses and the Israelites passed before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shilon and Og, and whom you devoted to destruction. In other words, every great army that has come against God and the Israelites has fallen. There must be something more than just powerful people here. There must be a God behind this, is what she's saying. So even Rahab is encouraging these people. And as soon as we heard melted as well and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath we know who this God is and we want to be a part of what he's doing now I think back to when church and them all started and there was like maybe five people that joined and then there was like 10 and, and then it kind of moved up to maybe 20 and then, then 30 and, and it just kept growing and growing and growing and growing and I keep thinking how God is constantly moving ahead and inviting people into what we're doing. So think back to that struggle, that challenge, that thing that's going on in your life, and 
this is an opportunity where we look to see who is God bringing to help in that endeavor with us. What are the challenges we're facing that God has already been moving people along to be a part? I love this particular part of Joshua. As we're continually moving through these verses. We're in Joshua chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, and this is now how God moves before us and moves before the Israelites. He's already been inviting people. He's been moving hearts. Now watch how he moves ahead of the Israelites. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded all the people. That's all the Israelites. As soon as you see the covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So when you see the Ark of the Covenant, which is this amazing box that is built to these specific specifications that has poles that go through it so that no one touches it because it's so holy and set apart. And the priest would carry it on either side holding the poles or touching the Ark itself. And inside the Ark would be things like the Ten Commandments. So they would eventually put some manna in there from the 40 days in the desert. And they would other items that would help remind them of what God had done, like Aaron's staff that just budded, how God took dead wood and brought it back to life. And these served as, as memorials or memories or things they could turn back to and say, even in times of doubt, I remember God did that and I can't deny it. And so now they're saying, when you see this ark move, which represents the presence of God and all that he's done for us over the years, get in line behind it. Now I share this because do you know how many times I'm running out ahead going, hey, come on, God, I got a great idea. And then I'm all by myself. Or I wonder why it didn't work out the way I wanted. Or, or I get frustrated and it just seems overwhelming in a whole different manner. And it's because God's going, Kevin, I'm God. Get behind me. Get behind the ark. So some of us need to remember in these situations we're struggling with that we may be too far ahead out in front of God. We may need to come back and get behind the ark. That we need to prepare ourselves. He continues, There shall be a distance between you. It's about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Prepare yourself for God to do something great. Have you ever prepared yourself for God to do something great? Or do you just kind of show up hoping he'll do something great? Or do we come expectantly? Well, I'm here to tell you that, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we can come expectantly. That God is going to do something amazing in our marriages, in our relationships, in our lives, in our jobs, in our work, in our health, in the lives of our kids and our loved ones. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about a living God who wants to bless his children just like I as a father want to bless my children. Only he's way better at it. And Joshua then says to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people and everyone begins to follow them. Now, Joshua 3, 7, 8, God goes before us. Check this out. The Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I'm sorry, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, Joshua, I'm going to do a lot of the same but different. Joshua, just like I lifted up Moses and people saw me in Moses' life, now they're going to see me in your life. 
you know people like that? You can look and go, man, I can tell God is in their life. There's just something unique about them. And as for you, Joshua, command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant, and when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, at this point, Joshua's probably thinking, okay, so I'm going to walk up here. The priests are going to have this Ark. We're going to walk into the water. And then what? I mean, should we wear bathing suits? Are we going to get wet? And so there's a little bit of a point here where I would probably doubt because I want to be very logical and I want to know what to bring. Am I bringing a scuba mask? I mean, is it that kind of mission, God? Or, or are you going to do something amazing? But the very idea that they've consecrated themselves and set themselves apart to be a part of what God is doing this holy moment, here's what happens next. As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan over the river is much wider, deeper, and faster than normal. And as soon as they come upon it and they start putting their feet in the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. In fact, it's about 20 miles away. I'm sure the people in the town of Adam came out and went, well, you don't see that every day. A big mound of water stopped dead in its tracks. And then all the way down the lane, it is stopped to the Dead Sea. The city that is beside Zareth and those flowing down towards the Sea of Erith, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite of Jericho. If you had your main source of water taken away, I think you'd notice and so the stories of what God does in this moment are still, still told today. Let's go back and remember what these things are. Yield. We're going to just hold up a minute. We're going to take everything into account what's happening. What's this new ground, this new experience we're in? We're going to feel what we feel. We're going to go to God with it. Second thing is we're going to stop trying to make plans and manipulate. We're just going to stop and take a breath. We're going to breathe in Jesus. We're going to breathe out ourselves. We're just going to take a moment to invite God into the situation. And then we're going to go and be with God. And we're going to wait on God. Now, you've not passed this way before. This is what we've been talking about as Joshua continues in his message. And as we continue to study this over the next few weeks, I want to show you what God does next, but I want you to show how the people respond to it. Because it isn't just about God and what God's doing, it's about how God interacts with humanity, you and I. See, the hope that we have wrapped up in these stories is not simply just a dumb hope or, or a hopeless hope. We're talking about staking our, our beliefs in, in real events that happen in a God who can manipulate anything in this world because he created it and yet chooses you and I by name to know him and be a part of his life and family. I love the story of Joshua because no matter what we're facing in our life, we can find hope and courage to stand fast and be obedient to God, to find him in our lives and to overcome whatever it is that he has put before us. But it isn't simply about us moving forward, but it's about us being spectators of what God wants to do in our lives and the lives of those around us. And so my friends, I, I just can't wait to get into this next week, and I hope you'll come back and you'll join us.